0: All right, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. But before we start, I want to make some assignments here. Chris, I want you to be ready to read uh, John 6:35. Jordan, I want you to be ready to read John John 8:12. Doug John 109 Seth uh, John 1011 Mike uh, John 11 25 and uh, Joshua uh, John 146 And Daniel, uh, John fifteen five. And Brother Girth, uh, Romans one eight. <clears throat> so, you know what that's all about, right? At least seven people aren't going to go to sleep on me today. Exodus 3. Looks like I'm in Exodus today, doesn't it? Exodus 3. I want to talk to you about the I am of the Bible. In Exodus chapter 3, we find the very first use of that term. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw nigh, uh, draw not n- nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereof thou standest is holy ground. <clears throat> Moreover, he said, I am, the, I am the God of thy father. The God of Abraham and the God of Jacob, or Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Just as a side note, when Christ was trying to prove that people live after death, he quoted this verse where he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead by the time Moses was on the scene, but he didn't say, I was the was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And i am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land and a large and into a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee into Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, ye, forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I'm come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Surely thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And so today we're going to talk about the great I am. that term in the, in the Bible. And here in 314 we have a very significant statement by God when he says, I am. I am, and not I was, or I will be. But he's a self-existence one. When we come to chapter 3 of Exodus, we have a real mountaintop experience because we learn more about God here than we have uh, previously. It reveals uh, much about God. Moses has fled into the desert He's herding sheep. He sees the burning bush. bush And God's glory shines. It's never consumed and never diminishes. As the bush that was never consumed or diminishes, God's glory doesn't. He goes over to investigate and God reveals himself. He draws, draws him close to him. He charges him with leading the children out of Israel. We learn from this name of God The I am that I am, we we know that the people of the Jewish ancestry, they didn't use this name. Uh, They considered the word Jehovah, which is anglicized of I am that I am. Uh, They, instead of using that word, they used Lord, and wherever you see, of course, capital L-O-R-D, that's actually I am that I am, Jehovah. We learn from this passage concerning God that He is the beginning and He is the ending uh, of all. Uh, he's never going to end, in fact. He's not I was or I will be. Mankind says, I'm gonna be this or I'm gonna do that or be that. And God says, I am. Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And God says, I am. I am is a self existing one. Everything that exists comes from Him. He's the law of first cause. He exists independently. Whenever we do some kind of mathematical kind of expression of God and we say God equals, there's nothing that can go on that equal side. God, He's above all. He doesn't equal anything. He surpasses everything. There is no equal with God. He tells Moses that the very ground that he stands upon being close to the burning bush is holy and Moses bows his face. The God of the burning bush is a God who can be affected by his creation. You see he says here in verse 7, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. And so he's a God that's not disconnected. He didn't just create and draw back and let people be what people are going to be. But he sees their affliction and he's concerned about it. He's a God who hears and I've heard their cry. He says, I know their sorrows. What a wonderful thing to realize that God sees and knows and he sympathizes with us. Then he says in verse eight something very outstanding. He says, I am come down. I've come down to deliver them. And then in verse thirteen he says he says, I will be. uh, He says, I will be with thee. And Moses, it's interesting Moses how he goes about things here. He says in verse 11, Moses said, who am I? (laughs) And then in verse 10, uh, 4 and 10, he's going to say, I am not. I am not eloquent, neither hitherto. And God is going to say, it doesn't matter that you say, who am I? Or I am not. But God says, I am that I am. And so, God of the burning bush, he's the self-existing one. He's the one who sees. He's the one who hears. He's the one who knows what you're going through. He's the one that came down to deliver Israel. He's the one who says, certainly, well, I will be with you. He's also a commissioning God because as he comes down, he's going to commission Moses To bring them out. And God's still in the business of calling men and commissioning them. Again, the name I am speaks of the existing one. He is the the beginning of all things. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He's constant. He's faithful. Today, he is what he's always been. He is what he shall be, and he shall be what he is today. When we move into the New Testament, in John chapter 8, he's addressing the Jews, and he makes it very clear, and the Jews clearly understand that Jesus claims to be Jehovah God. He claims to be the I Am. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, He said, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews immediately knew what he was talking about, because they picked up stones to stone him. And then we find in the book of John, these verses that I gave you and one in Revelation, that talk about the I am titles of God. And the first one is Chris's in John 6.35. And so Jesus uses the I am title, but in that he talks about he's going to have spiritual food of endless supply and endless satisfaction. And it speaks of eternal security and care for us. And then the next I am is in John 8:12. And of course we know that if a plant stays in darkness, it's not going to grow. That he light and life are associated together, and Jesus says, trying to paint a picture for us to get us to understand, I am the bread of life. John ten nine. I am the door. And so salvation is through Jesus Christ. He says he's the door, and as you study that, they would they would uh, make an enclosure. Maybe they take uh, branches and weave them together. The sheep would be in the, the enclosure, and Jesus said, I'm the door. What would happen is the doorway, the enclosure that had the opening to go into it to put the sheep in, Jesus, the the, the shepherd would lay right in the doorway. And there's no way that sheep are going to be attacked. If you have to if the if the if the wolves or uh, dishonest shepherds are going to try to come in and steal the flock, they gotta go through Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the door. And we enter into that flock uh, through Jesus Christ. And that's and related to that in all that John ten passage is John ten and eleven. Seth. And what more could you say? He's the good shepherd. Mike, John eleven twenty-five. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. in me, so you were dead and shall live. And here Martha stood by the tomb of Lazarus, and uh, the Lord said this, just as I've stood by my parents' grave, just as early in the summer in the spring uh, that Laura and the boys and I went to my brother's funeral and uh, to be able to as I usher, the tradition there maybe across all America as a a pallbearer uh, at the close you take the little flower off that they put on your lapel and you stick it on the top of the casket and what a joy to uh, not only did i miss him and not only was i emotional but what a joy to know that the resurrection and the life had already been there i am the resurrection and the life joshua 14:6 4, jesus said unto him i am the way the truth and the life the man from the and so again another i am verse I am the way, without him there's no way, there's no going. He's the truth, without the truth there is no knowing, as the saying goes, and without the life there is no living. And so there's no going, there's no knowing, there's no living without the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and through him we come to the Father. And then John 15, 5, Daniel. I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abideth in me and I in him. And so here is a vine, a grape vine, and we branch off of that, and and the fruit that comes on the end of the vine naturally comes through the source of uh, source of the vine through the branches, and uh, he it is that makes us fruitful. And then, Brother Girth, Revelation one eight. Yeah, one eight. No, Revelation one one eight's not it? Revelation? Revelation. Wow. Sorry, I don't have my hearing aids out here. <laughs> I don't have my speaking voice either. And so when the Lord says Alpha and Omega, Alpha would be A in, in R corresponding to our uh, alphabet, Omega would be Z. But the Lord is not just saying here I am A and Z, but He's saying I am A through Z, I am all the alphabet. All the words that you can make, all the manu- things that you can manufacture, all the phrases you could create using the language, I encompass all of that. I'm, I'm all the language. I'm everything. I, I'm, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord. And so, as S.M. Lockridge said, he, he wished that in a sermon entitled... That's my king. He, he wanted to somehow be able to describe uh, Jesus Christ to the world. And, and he said, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invisible. He's irresistible. He said he's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. But this afternoon, um, my heart is pulled back to the Old Testament where we find one of the IMs of the Bible concerning Christ that is seldom spoke about. It's uh, the most glorious I am. But on the other hand, it's the most horrible I am. It's the I am that speaks of the brightest hour of history. But it's the I am that also speaks of the darkest hour of all of history. Go with me to Psalms 22. Back in the 1970s, I was a student at Independent Baptist College in Dallas, Texas. And that year, there was a man who came to school from India. His name was Solomon, and his last name was Rao, and Rao was like Ray, a son Ray. And because I'd already graduated from a four-year college, and I was older, and supposedly much wiser and settled down uh, they put him in my dorm room and not and didn't he was an older man and didn't put him in with uh, the young guys and so at college every day about mid-morning we would have a chapel and we'd go in and someone would preach or give a devotion or something so Solomon and I went in and I sat by him Wanting to show myself friendly, and he, after all, he is rooming in my dorm. And, and as we sat down, he took his shoes off, and I thought, "Oh, well, you know, he's from India. He's probably used to walking without his shoes, and probably pinching his feet." And so he took his shoes off and was sitting there. And, and pretty quick, he looked over at me and he said, are uh, not you go take your shoes off?" And I thought no. I didn't know if the socks I had on that day matched, let alone if they had holes in them or not, or how much my feet were stinking. And so I wasn't going to take my shoes off. I said, no, I'm not taking my shoes off. And he got a real serious look on his face and he said, what, you don't you don't remove your shoes when you go to worship? That you're on holy ground? Well, When we come to Psalms 22, it wouldn't be too much for us to take our shoes off. It's holy ground. And it really gives us a glimpse into Jesus hanging on the cross. And he says there, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Words that we find in the gospel Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not the time when the light shined upon the cross. And in the night season, and I'm not silent when the sun turned dark Darkness is upon the land. He's crying out as a man would cry out to God and God is not hearing. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praise of Israel. He didn't accuse God the Father of being unjust or unholy. But he, accused, he admitted that God was holy in allowing what was happening to him take place. And he thinks, he said, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. And as we taught this morning, that God will fight for you. But he's not fighting for for this one who's crying out, my God, my God. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. And then we find our I am statement. But I am a worm. You helped our fathers. But I am a worm. And no man. A reproach of men, And despised by the people. While the Gospels describe the scene of the cross as the men who pinned Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John as they pinned and looked up to the cross, Psalms 22 enters into holy ground in that we have Jesus speaking from the cross. I am a worm, and He says, "Thou art holy." And then the God of the bush, the God of eternity, the self-existing God, the one who's the first cause, the, the rose of Sharon, the altogether lovely one, the king of kings, the wonderful counselor, the almighty God says, I am a worm, the lowliest of creatures. In Eastern Oregon we used to go creek fishing, not creek fishing, but creek fishing. And we would go out at night when the ground was wet and have our flashlights and the night crawlers would come out and we'd get them. Or if that wasn't working, we had an electrical prod and we'd water the grass and we'd stick that down in the ground and the electricity was going through the dirt and night crawlers were coming to the top. And i I'd get me a handful of them, and and all you young bucks don't know what I'm talking about, maybe a couple of you do, and I'd go get me a Prince Albert can. Prince Albert, (laughs) the picture on it was the only thing about Prince Albert. It's a little flat can, and it held tobacco, and people would buy it and roll their cigarettes back in the 1950s, and it fit in your behind pocket, just beautiful, and I'd stuff them full of worms, Go down the creek. If it's too long, I just pinch him and put him back in there and pinch him off, and and I take it and hook it up, and and I never once shed one tear for that worm. It's just a lowly creature of the earth. And Jesus cries out, "I am a worm." Charles person said, "A worm, neglected and despised." Lowness, vileness, insignificance. And what Jesus is doing in this term, he's taken the position of the lowest of the low, the lowest sinner he's taken the place of. He had become a worm and not a man. He's helpless. He's going to be trodden on in Christ under the heel of Satan. Christ may be said to have been a worm with respect to his lowliness and his poor condition, especially in the kind of death that he suffered. He was stripped nude of his clothes. He was nailed to the cross, he as naked as any worm in this world. Isaiah describes him, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we, also, when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But not just any worm. The wording of this is a certain kind of worm. It's the word tola, the tola worm. And the tola worm is associated with the color of crimson, that worm was taken and crushed and used for scarlet dye. When the female of the Tola worm would be ready to lay its eggs, it would put itself on a tree. It would attach itself. The eggs would be laid and they'd lie underneath her. And she was permanently attached to the tree. And she would die there. And as the little worms hatched out, they would eat her body. And she gave her life for her descendants. But it was red. Though your sins be like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. And Jesus, in a scarlet way, suffered for us. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they will be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And it's the same word, scarlet as a toll worm. And Corinthians tells us, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." And the psalmist ends the 22nd Psalm when he says, and a seed shall serve him. If you're born again here today, and you know the one who said, my God, my God, as your savior, a seed shall serve him. That we're left here to serve. It shall be counted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and declare his righteousness to people that shall be born, that he hath done this. And so the psalmist said, I want to go on record that I'm saying that he has done this. He has made himself a worm. He has died in our place. And we anticipate others coming and following and telling the world simply, he has done this. He has died for you. Isaac Watts, the song writer, said Alas, an exclamation, one of, of sorrow, one of grief and pity and concern and alas he says, Alas and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head, and depending on which songbook you're reading, for a sinner such as I? No, he didn't say that. He said, for a worm such as I. Listen, outside of Jesus Christ, we're altogether unprofitable. We're no more value than a worm. But Jesus became a worm to make us kings. One of the greatest I am's of the Bible, I am a worm. I hope you know him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, it's in incomprehensible to think that you would die in our place. And Lord, uh, very feeble, but all I can say today is uh, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. And Lord, I want to love you better. And I want to tell you today that I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.